No, I haven't. I need to send him a note and, and see if he's uh, found anything. I'm not sure what's – other than the fact that last I heard he didn't have one. He lives up in um, Grand Blanc, so it's a bit of a drive. One of the reasons he was coming here for Bible study was his, his job was in Troy. So. Well, we're in Judges chapter 18. We made it, and we're going to get uh, – uh, these next few chapters are going to kind of go slow and fast because they're kind of all connected together. 18, though, starts so, – someone said to me last week, why in the world did we have chapter 17 in here? It seems like it, it really didn't do much for us. And I'm thinking, well, it's the setup for chapter 18. If you think about it, it's kind of the preamble. Uh, we have a series of consequences. You've ever noticed how consequences tend to come back and and bite you sometimes, and and that's the case here. With uh, in Judges, we have a woman who has uh, an exorbitant amount of money, and uh, her son steals it from her, and then. After hearing that his mother has put a curse on it, he decides to give it back to her. And then she decides to belay the curse by blessing him instead, and then saying that she will commit to give uh, money towards making an idol. Now, one translation even says that the idol that was made, her son makes, is made in his image, in, in the son's image. And then he creates, uh, a, a, if you will, a household religion. He has an idol. He has household idols as well, gods. And then he has uh, an ephod, and he sets his son up as a priest. And then from there he goes, and he finds that a, a, a Levite comes by. And the Levite, he decides to make the Levite his priest. And he ends by saying, this is a pretty good deal. I know that God's going to be with me because not only do I have God, but I have a priest. And for in this particular instance, he's becoming very Canaanized. He's got his household gods. This is not new, if you remember, that the household gods was a problem off and on with Israel, even back when the 12 sons were, were living originally before they went down to Egypt. Every once in a while, we had some problems with this. So... Uh, but in this particular case, what's being set up for us is what's going to happen in chapter 18, and that is the movement of Dan from their assigned territory that God gave them to a territory that they've decided that they want to go to because it's going to be easier for them. And that's where we're going to be picking up at is in chapter 18. So let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll read... Um, We'll just read the whole chapter. It's all the way through 31 verses, and we'll go around the tables as we have previously. Dan, um, Dan, um, Danny's table, Gary's table, Tom's table, and our table. What's that? He lost status. Yeah, you lost status, man. Yeah, yeah they didn't put a table. Up <laughs> you know, we, it, we need you to. We need you to. You need a time out in the corner. You know, <laughs> we took your table away. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer, Father. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, and we pray today that we would uh, glean information from here that will help us as we seek to follow you 
and we pray that you would continue to guide and direct in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Judges chapter 18. In those days, Israel had no king. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle, because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five warriors from Zorah and Eshtal to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all their clans. They told them, go explore the land. The men entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they spent the night. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized that the voice of the young Levite, they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus, Dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. Then they said to him, Please inquire of God to whether our journey may be successful. So the priest replied, Go in peace. The mission you are on is under the eye of the Lord. So the five men left. They came to the city of Laish and saw that the people of that city lived in safety. They were ruled by the people of Sidon. Everything was peaceful and quiet. People had plenty of everything, men didn't have any enemies nearby to hurt them. So they lived a long way from the city of Sidon, did not have any agreements with the people of Aram. When they returned to Zorah and Eshtal, their fellow Danites asked them, How did you find things? And they answered, Come on and let's attack them. We have seen the land is very good. Aren't you going to go and do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands, a land that lacks nothing whatever. Then 600 men from the clan of the Danites, armed for battle, set off from Zorah and Eshtal. They marched up to make camp at Kachurinah in uh, Judah. This is why the place is called Kachurinah, still known as Dan's camp today. And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then answered the five men that went on to spy out the country of Laish and said unto their brethren, Do do you you know that there is in these houses an ephod and teraphim and a graven image and a molten image now therefore consider what you have to do. So they turned in there, they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite and Micah and greeted him. Six hundred Danites, armed for battle, stood at the entrance of the gate. Seventeen. The five men who have gone to spy out in the land proceeded to enter take the idol of cast metal, the Ephrod, and the Tephrodim. The priest was standing by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. 
five of them answered, Be quiet, don't say a word, come with us. Be our father and our priest, you must choose. It is better for you to be a priest for one man or for a whole tribe of Israelites with many family groups. 20, yeah, 20. The priest was very pleased. He, he took the ephod, the household goods, and the idol and went along with the people. Putting their little children and their livestock and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. When they had gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? Micah replied, You've taken my gods that I made and the priests I have gone off. What do you have left? How can you ask me what is wrong? And the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest the angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. And the children of Dan went their way, and, and, and when Michael saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back unto his house. And they took what Michael had made in his creed and went on to let city Dan after their ancestor Dan who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was formerly Rush Thirty. Thirty. Uh, the people of the tribe of Dan set up the idol in the city of Dan. They made Jonathan son of Gershom their priest. Gershom was the son of Moses. Jonathan and his sons were the priests for the tribe of Dan until the time when the Israelites were taken into captivity. They continued, they continued to use the idol Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. Okay. So we're back to 18. Remember, we have this, um, again, this whole idea of, uh, of um, uh, bookends. Uh, starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 18, you'll notice that, again, remember in, in Scripture, originally there were no chapter divisions and no verse divisions. All right? So these are arbitrarily put in there by somebody. And uh, the story is that it was a monk uh, in France that did that. And uh, the uh, apocryphal story is that he was riding on a donkey most of the time when he put these verses together. And, and decided to break him up because every once in a while he did it in kind of a weird spot. And the, the story was that apparently the donkey misstepped or jumped or whatever, and, and so sometimes you have weird spots where the, 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 the verses break. You'll notice that the very first verse of chapter 19 uh, is, In those days Israel had no king. So it starts off with, There is no king and there is no king, which means that everything that happens in the middle here is, again, really, really important. And then you'll notice in chapter 19 where it starts with, again, 
there is no king. It ends in 21 with, again, there is no king. So we've got a series of stories that are really important. And this one is important because we have a group of men who decide, a tribe, who decides that, that God's will is not important to them. There is a clear indication of what God's will is. This is your territory. Go and conquer it. That's what their, that's what their challenge was. Now, I've, I'm, a, I'm not a map drawer, as you can tell by looking on the board, but you'll notice that you have uh, the uh, Jordan River, the Dead Sea, the uh, uh, yeah, Galilee at the top, of, and then you have Judah at the bottom, uh, Simeon is in the middle of Judah. Eventually, they're absorbed. Then you have uh, a, 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 a strip that separates uh, Judah from Ephraim, and that strip includes two different tribes: Dan, all the way to the coast, and then from the, roughly the Shephelah to the, the Jordan River, you have Benjamin. Uh, these two tribes are, are the two tribes that are going to be uh, that this story is about for 17 and 18 with Dan and uh, 19, 20, and 21 with uh, Benjamin. So um, Dan is having a hard time conquering their land. They are living in the mountains, but they're not down in the plains. So it's very difficult for them to, to, uh, to farm and to raise crops and, uh, and their herds. So they've decided that it's too hard to, to do the battle here, so they're going to look for a new place, and they send out five guys. And if we were to compare um, this story with uh, Joshua, I think it's chapter 1 or chapter 2, where uh, Joshua sends two spies into the land, you're going to find a, a, a parallel. Uh, and you're going to find that the, almost the same words being used over and over. Uh, we want you to go. We want you to check it out. It's a great place. It's going to be super. There's a there's some people we have to conquer, but other than that, it's a great place to go, great place to live. So uh, it's almost as though the writer here is is uh, doing a parody of what he has uh, read from or heard from Joshua's story. And so Dan decides that they're going to send people. Uh, rather than submitting to God's will, they're going to send people to go their way and try to get their things done uh, in a different way. And it's interesting that so often, you know, we we say, you know, uh, James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something and don't get it. You kill and covenant, but you don't covet, but you don't, you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you do it with the wrong motives, that you may spend it on your own evil pleasures, on your own desires. We're talking about the corruption of this world is fed by evil desires, and that's exactly what's going on with Dan. They've decided that it's more important that they have a land that's easy, that's that's, uh, and we want to go the easy way. Have you ever noticed that given two choices... You know, this is God's way, this is man's way. You ever notice how often we choose man's way because God's way looks like it's a little more difficult? I don't know about you, but I have found very often in my life that that when I screw up, it's usually because I go, you know what, I don't want to go this way. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It looks like it's impossible from human perspective. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to take a shortcut. 
I'm going to cut in line. I'm going to, you know, do it the easy way because after all, I deserve ease. Right? <laughs> Inevitably, is that a good outcome? Well, it appears that it ends up being a good outcome for Dan, except for one thing. What's the major thing we learn about Dan as we read this book? What happened up at, when they moved to the, the land up above uh, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee? They end up becoming a tribe that is worshiping idols. The first of the tribes to fully embrace idolatry. Because it was easier to do that than to go down to and, and take the territory that God had promised that, that would be theirs. So this is what they decide. They decide they're going to do this. Uh, again, if you look here, uh, the sons of Dan are sent in this uh, in Joshua 2. The, uh, Joshua sends out uh, two men in, in Judges 5. They send out five. Uh, they, they're there to scout the land, and, and then depending upon your translation, the King James scout their land, and, and Joshua scout their land, scout the land in um, in uh, Judges. Uh, they're saying when they come back, go and explore the land. That's what they do. In both cases, it's almost identical. Uh, they come uh, in Joshua at uh, Jericho. They come and live in a house of a prostitute. They spend time there. And they lodge there for a, a period of time. What happens in, uh, in, in Judges uh, 19 is they come to the house of Micah. And they spend time in Micah. And, uh, and then they, they hear the voice, these five guys, they hear the voice of uh, this guy, Jonathan. Now, my guess is that he has a different dialect. I realize it's only a short difference. This you know, it's only a short difference. They're up in here in Ephraim, but it apparently is different uh, the way that they pronounce things than they do in Judah. You know, this this uh, Levite is from Bethlehem, which is about four miles south of of, Jer of uh, Jerusalem, and so they uh, they decide, that, oh, you know, we want to find out what's going on. Why are you here? And uh, they ask, you know, well, so why are you here? And he says, well, I, I, I'm here because they, they gave me a job. You know, instead, it, it, why are you here? Here's what I would, would have loved for, for this Levite to have said. I'm here because Je Jehovah brought me here. I, I'm here to instruct the people in the ways of God. I, I, I'm here because I'm faithfully... Uh, fulfilling the charge that I have as an as a Levite to teach the people. What did he say instead? I'm here for the money. I'm here for the money. <laughs> Show me the money. He, yeah. He might be underage too. Could be. He certainly is underage. He, he's certainly not from a, a priestly uh, from the priestly line, but he's certainly from the the line of of the Levites, and he could be that he's not old enough, but. Boy, I'm still thinking, hmm, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm doing it because Mike has done all kinds of nice things for me. I'm doing it because he's hired me for wages. And I'm doing it because I get promoted without, without anything that I'm required to do. I don't qualify to be a priest, whether it's by age or by the fact that he's not from the exact right tribe. He's from the tribe of Levite, but not from the clan of, of Aaron. 
So he's not really eligible to be a priest, and he decides, you know what, this is a pretty good deal. You ever been offered a good deal that's wrong? Choose this day what you're going to do. You've heard my story about being offered a, about $100,000 worth of business in T-shirts if I just simply sold it to a strip club. Yeah, I don't think so. They were trying to cover up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they do. Yeah. Not my comfort level, I'll tell you that, bud. Not my comfort level at all. <clears throat> so they decide, Dan decides they're going to travel. And they start off by sending five guys up here to Ephraim. And then they go from there, they travel up here. And somewhere up in this area, up above Sea uh, of uh, of uh, Galilee, they find this Laash. Now, Laash is is uh, near Mount Hermon, and that's not too awfully far from Damascus. So, if you look on your map, you kind of see uh, that area through there. And there's a series of mountains up here um, that separates them from the coast. And at this point, Sidon is one of the, the cities on the coast followed by a little further north by, by uh, uh, Tyre. And I don't know what the city would be, but it's in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, it's in Lebanon. So uh, remember uh, that Sidon and, Le and Tyre were known for cypress trees. Any of the huge buildings that are done in Israel, shortly after this, are done as a result, and when they used lumber, they're using these big logs from from Lebanon, and, and they use that in the building of the temple. The Philistines, probably down here in, in uh, Gaza, uh, that temple that Solomon or that uh, Samson brought down uh, just two chapters ago, probably the pillars that he took down were pillars of Cyprus. That had that were holding up a, a temple. You can imagine how big those must have been, because that was able to hold up two of those pillars at least, maybe more. But those pillars were holding up a, a, a temple. That on the top of the temple there were over three thousand people standing up there. That's a that's a big that's a big uh, tree. Let me tell you, a big series of trees. So they decide they're going to go up there, and, and there's a, a relationship between Sidon and Laish. And, uh, but it's the only, it's the only uh, place that they have a relationship with. And so they, they kind of, we don't know if they're part of the a people that broke off or they just simply established relations with them, but they're, they're, that's their, their comfort factor, if, we will, if you will. And... Uh, and it's about 100 miles north from where Dan is supposed to be, 100 miles. So they, they're, they're just slightly out of the, the, the ballpark when it comes to, you know, hitting the target that God wanted them to do. Just 100 miles off, you know. So <clears throat> they are there. Uh, we don't know if they're ruled by the Sidons or they simply have a, the custom of the Sidons. Uh, but it says that they, they lacked for nothing. Uh, their land was very, was very prosperous. Uh, they, were, they lived a long way from, from Sidon. 
And so that when Dan decided to attack, it was really difficult for them to have any help. It's too far for Sidon to come if they had a if they had a, a mutual compact of protection. And they say that we see that the land was good, it was beautiful, the people were secure, they were unsuspecting, they were like lambs being led to the slaughter. There was plenty of room for Dan to to move there. And uh, there was certainly no uh, deficiencies in the resources that they needed. It was everything they wanted, everything they could have wanted. And so they go up there. And on the way, they stop in Ephraim at Micah's house. Now, I don't know if it's these five guys that decided this was the best thing they could do, but they decided, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a guy that has some great-looking idols and, and there's a priest. And you know what? Maybe we ought to stop at him and get that stuff. And it's interesting. They go in there and they, they don't break in, but they certainly go in and they, and they rob him and they intimidate him uh, from what they're doing. And, and, you know, if, you know, after all, can you imagine, you know, Micah discovers his shrine is out of business and he doesn't have, a, he doesn't have his God anymore. Does he have his priest? So he calls his neighbors together to pursue the Danites because after all, what man, you know, what, what must you do if you have, uh, if you lose your God? You got to protect him. You know, your God needs protection. <laughs> What's that? Bouncing along in the back of the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I'm, I'm just amazed at, at how often, you know, we. We do dumb things like this. We we create idols, and then we then we have to we have to protect them as though as though God needs protection. And, and I love the fact he goes. You know, they, they say to him. His his answer is, you know, well, why are you coming after him, you idiot? There's six hundred of us. There's just a few of you. Why are you coming? Well, what else do I have? What else do I have? I lost my God. I lost my priest. I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with this. In Isaiah chapter 46, God says to Israel, he says, to whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may compare? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales, and they hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it on their shoulders and carry it, and they set it up in this place, and there it stands from that spot. It cannot move, though one cries out to it. It does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. But if you talk to me, I can do those things. After all, isn't that what God does? So it's interesting. Have you ever wondered why? Why do they put why do they put the children and their livestock in the front when they leave Micah's house? You thought about it? Any of you in the any of you in the uh, spend time in the military? Any of you have uh, strategy? You know, tactical sacrifices. Well, they're in the front. Where where where's Dan and where's Dan and the uh, Where's Micah's people coming from? From the rear. They're, 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 they're protecting them by putting them in the front. 
because they know if there's going to be a problem, that they're going to come up against them on the rear. So all the fighting men are in the back. <laughs> Yeah, they knew where they were headed. They knew they, were, they, they might have had some scouts up there, but in general, it says that they put the little children, the livestock, and the possessions in the front of them, and they turned away and they left. And they did that because then, as soon as they leave, it says the men, Micah calls a bunch of men together, and they overtook the Danites. Well, no doubt, you got 600 men plus their women, their children, and their livestock. It's a slow-moving column. So you're protecting them by, you know, think about, you know, when Indians attack, when we traveled across the, the Great Plains, what did we do? We circled the wagons. This is basically circling the wagons. We're protecting what's important to us is what they did. <clears throat> so you're going on. Bill? Yes, sir. It, they were showing, uh, it's all, it says the gates of Dan, so there's a lot of ruins at the city you go see right now. Oh, really? Okay. And it says that it was a fortified Canaanite settlement until the tribe of Dan expelled its occupants, as described in Judges 18. Yeah. And what I don't understand, well, they actually found uh, pagan altars, too. And um, But what doesn't make any sense is, is uh, if you have a fortified city, you would think that, that it would have been a siege for some time before they... Able to the fences, you know? Well, here's the other thing. There's only 600 guys going up against a fortified city. You would think that, yeah, they'd be able to last quite a while. Now, we're, now it could be that Scripture compresses all the things that happened in a short period of time, and we're not told all the specifics. Or we're told just what we need to know. You know, Scripture often is not... Uh, God chooses to give us the information we need to know to be able to learn from it, but He doesn't always give us all the minutiae. You know all the details, and, and it could be that that's what's going on. I don't know, Rick, but that's a that's a good point. And so Dan is up there, and, and but they they when they conquer the city, they they rebuild it and they name it Dan after their forefather, after the founding of the of the tribe, the founder of the tribe. And I love the fact that that in the process of this, uh, they go to the the priest. He goes. Okay, you can just choose to stay here or you can come with us. Now, what's better? Now, you've already, you've already found out that the guy is kind of mercenary in the fact that he's willing to take on a job that is really not appropriate for him. He's not supposed to be a priest. He's not so, he might not even be old enough to be a priest, but he's, and, he's, and he's ministering before idols, which is against the, the law. So what do they do? They go, hey, you know, which, which is better for you, to stay with this, this guy, a single household, or would you like to come and be our priest? Yeah. You know? Bigger congregation. Bigger congregation, you know? Why not? It's always tempting to go someplace where it looks like it's easier. I used to love the fact, and, and no, no offense against my brother, whose name was Gary. I can't remember. I think it was Halberg, maybe. Yeah, Gary had this wonderful church that he was a worship pastor at in uh, in Lansing, in the Lansing area. It was an amazing church and he did some amazing work there. And the next thing I know uh, Gary has got a church in Toronto. And it's, well yeah, it's a bigger city. Plus they gave him, 
They gave him a huge bump in salary, and they gave him a car. And the, the, the next time I saw him, he had his car. He had a white Mercedes that they had given him to come. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going, man, oh, man, what is going on? I am in the, I'm in the wrong denomination. <laughs> So he he had a you know and and it's easy for us to get get connected like that. It's easy for us to say, hey, you know what? This is a better deal, and and sometimes better deals are the right way to go. It all depends on whether or not you do what. What should you do when you have an offer? Pray. Yeah. Did this guy pray? If he did, it was a flare prayer. Going, oh Lord, please don't let him kill me. I'll go with him. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. Maybe it was out of fear. We're not told, but it is interesting. It goes, you know, the, 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 the temptation is there. Come with us, and we have cookies. You know, we'll, we'll give you uh, the ability to minister to all of our tribe, and it'll be you and your sons. You're going to establish your own priesthood. You're the founding priest of the new order. And that's what happens is they end up, he ends up going. All right, so. Let's see if we need to. So they take, they take him, they go up there, they, they conquer the, the place. Uh, some say that, um, someone has said that there's only three philosophies of life in today's world. One, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Two, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Or three, what's mine is yours and I'll share it. In this particular case, it appears that the Danites decided to follow door number two. Uh, what's yours is mine, and I'm taking it. And uh, and so they did. They, they, they took over the land. They established themselves up there. The entire tribe moves there. Dan becomes the established primary cult center for the nation, at least early on. It says that those idols were worshipped all of the time that God's uh, tabernacle and the ark was in Shiloh. And they're in Shiloh until when? When did the ark move from Shiloh to someplace else? Anybody know? Anybody remember the history? Well, it was when they built the temple, obviously, with the ark. Yeah. David moves the ark. Remember, David tries to move the ark. He moves it incorrectly, and a guy dies. Yeah. And they and they end up leaving the ark at a guy's house. Right. And uh, can you imagine having God as your visitor, <laughs> sitting there in your family room and going, "Especially you know someone dying." Yeah. Would you? Would you? <laughs> and you know, it's time for the evening news. What channel would you like to watch, God? <laughs> you know. I mean. Think how holy you live for this. Yeah, I'm thinking. Now here's the here's the problem with that. And just to be off the side of this, how, how why is it that that we we look at that and we think, man, he must have lived really holy because God was there, and he was living in his house, and it became the house was the tabernacle of God. When we're the tabernacle of God, and do we treat God that way? Do we defer to Him when you say, you know, God, after all, you're you're on the the throne here in my in my life. What should I do? Should I do this? Should I not do this? That's right. Go get a donut. Go get a donut, man. All right. So anyhow, we have Israel. Israel's first cultic center is Dan, 
and it's there to take care of the Danites, and they they establish a new a new um, they establish a new uh, uh, priesthood there, and it becomes the apostate state of Dan. Is the first to officially adopt an idolatrous system of worship. Let's not, in case he listens to this. All right. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, uh, w- William uh, Butler Yeats says the center cannot hold the home. Um, we talked about this uh, in 17 when we started in, verse, in chapter 17, this quote from Yeats. It says the the home, the ministry, society, they dis, they disintegrate before our eyes. And the people don't want to hear the truth. You know, that's true today. People don't want to hear the truth. Well, what is truth? You sound like Pilate. Your truth is different than my truth. No, truth is truth. There's no different versions of the truth. There might be different stories around it, but truth is still truth. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it to be or not, the world must be told that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And we tend to want to do all kinds of other things. You know, it's it's the power of Christ that transforms hearts. It's the power of Christ that transforms homes. It's the power of Christ that transforms churches. It's the power of Christ that transforms society. It's the power of Christ that can transform a nation and a world. There's an English preacher by the name of John Dunn. He, he, was, he was in the 17th century. He says, Christ beats his drum, but he does not press men. Christ beats his drum, but he does not press men into his service. Christ is served by, by volunteers. The, the army of Christ is a volunteer army. But like all good volunteer armies... Once you join it, you have to obey the boss. You have to obey the general. You don't get to, you know, well, I volunteered for this. I don't have to do that. No, no, no. You, you volunteered. You are doing it. Have you ever tried to do that when you were in the service or anywhere else you volunteered? Well, you know, I don't really want to do it. I'm a volunteer. We do that at the church all the time. Well, no, I volunteered to do that, but no, I don't think so. I don't want to do that. I'm out. What's that? I'm volunteering out. Yeah, I'm volunteering out. I'm taking my volunteer and leaving here. All right. So what are some of the implications of this? The implication is that often we, we, opportunity causes us sometimes to lose our faith. Temptation is easy sometimes to fall to. You know, it's, you, you can see how like the northern part of the kingdom just was, you know, first group of people in captivity. Yeah. You know, because through several generations they just continued worse and worse that following the law Yep. to any degree. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's why they were the first group to fall Israel itself before Judah. 
Yeah, and, and, and Israel is the uh, uh, goes into captivity first with the uh, uh, with the um, I just had a brain freeze. Can't think of the name of the group. The Assyrians. The Assyrians took them into captivity. Stop. Syria decided it was going to answer my question for me. So uh, what I find interesting about this is that um, a couple of things. One, when it comes to, and I realize that we're not involved in choosing a, a new pastor, we're not a part of a search committee, but when, when you choose a when you choose a pastor, um, you know what, what's more important: being the pastor of a small church or being the pastor of a big mega church? You know, and and both are good, both are important, and both have their place. But the the question is: is it ambition and opportunity that's driving you to t- accept that, whatever that next position is? Is that what God wants, or does God want you to stay where you are? This, this is, and this happens in all of our lives in all sorts of ways. Think about it. if you're a church and, uh, you know, Kensington has solved the problem of what do we do when our, our population is not where the church is? Well, how, what was their solution? Establish, establish satellite churches, right. you know. And uh, smaller churches back in the day they often would do something different. They would say, well, we're going to move to where the population is. Some churches said, no, we're going to stay where we are, and if we do that, we have to change to become like the community we're serving, which is what Troy is attempting to do. At least it's what they say from the stage, and I'm, I have to believe they're, they're honest about that. They want, they want the leadership of the church to look like the community that is in Troy, if we're going to reach Troy, we want to be able to minister to people in Troy. I can remember we had a church that at one time I served with that we moved, and uh, the big issue was do we leave our church? There was a whole group of our people that said we shouldn't leave. We need to continue to minister to the people in our community. And uh, there was a larger group that said, no, we want the church to establish itself by where we live. And it was a half hour away, and that's a long drive for a lot of people. I've never understood why it was a long drive, but apparently it is. You know, you've traveled more than 15 or 20 minutes to get to your church. You're traveling a long, t- a long distance. So uh, it was a conundrum that was solved by selling our church to a n- building to another church so they could take up ministering in that community, which worked for that church. Uh, but... It would have been interesting what would have happened if we'd have had two churches, two church buildings and two separate, you know, if that had been the way we solved, solved the problem. I don't know. All right, I'll continue on. I found, I found something about yeah. Shiloh. Yeah. Um, it's also uh, currently being dug up by archaeologists. Yeah, I think I read that. And um, they said that, that uh, it's amazing what they've been finding. There's a lot of, like, Roman culture that they've been finding like coins and all different kinds of things on, mm-hmm. on the site. But I didn't know this, but it was also where they had divided up the land of Israel for the 12 tribes. It was where they decided, you know, where you okay. going to go. Yeah, yeah. So it was a plan. It wasn't just by randomness. No, it wasn't random. It was, it was designed by God. This is your territory. This is where you're being assigned to, to conquer. And it was based upon a variety of things. You remember part of the tribes... 
uh, <clears throat> the tribe of Reuben, all of it stayed on the east side of the Jordan in the southern part down through here uh, because that was a good grazing land. And then you had the tribe, of, the half-tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was the half-tribe, and what was their, their brother? <laughs> Ephraim. Uh, they were both sons of Joseph. Joseph. And so the 12, that's, that's how you get uh, 13, a total of 13 tribes, because 12 tribes have property. One tribe doesn't. It's the tribe of Levi. Doesn't have property other than the, the cities of, that they were assigned. But land, specific land for their, their tribe, no. So Joseph's sons become adopted by Israel at the end of, of Genesis, chapter what, 50, roughly. And so you have two half-brothers, or two half, you know, they're, they're nephews, really, of the rest of, the, of the, the clan. And they become Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim is here. Manasseh is above Ephraim and also a big portion of the land here on the side of, on the east side of the Jordan. So, uh, let's see, what are, the, uh, what are some of the things we can take from this? One, I would say this, there is a problem with moral bankruptcy that goes all the way back to the son of the mother in 17. You know, when God's word is unknown or ignored, the results are human manufactured, culturally conditioned innovations. I'll say it again. <laughs> when God's word is unknown or ignored, the results are human manufactured, culturally conditioned innovations. Which is a lot like what we're having right now in certain parts of our society. You know, we're ignoring God's word. And so we manufacture things that are culturally conditioned based upon our thoughts process, which might or might not be biblical. Self-consumed individuals and groups dominate this, this passage in 17 and 18. And at the very root, they're immersed in a misconception of the fact that human manipulation of a deity is okay. And it's something you can do. How does that work? Have you ever been able to, any of you ever been able to manipulate God? I can't even, I can't even, I can't bribe him, nor have I been able to bargain with him. I don't know why. Just He just doesn't listen to me when I try to do those things. But yet, when we can't get God to do it, we create our own God so we can bargain with them. All right. Additionally, we substitute anything and everything we can for God. When, when we reject God's word, then we start having our activities really appear from a biblical perspective as often foolhardy and foolish. We, we put massive efforts into substituting everything and anything we can in the place of God. Um, one scholar said that there is a, um, I just lost his name. He says that each of us has a God-sized vacuum in our hearts, in our lives. And if we don't fill it with God, we try, we attempt to fill it with anything and everything else that we have. Voltaire, no, it wasn't Voltaire. Who was it? It was a mathematician. 
can't think of his name right now. All right. Yeah. I think maybe like like the ancients when they captured a city uh-huh. like Dan, they kind of felt that the uh, all the religious artifacts on that was and was like 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 a trophy. Sure. Yeah. And and the research that they did when they sent the five spies in there, that the land you know was was a great agricultural land and was providing bounty harvest. Yep. Um, that the that type of society both believed that the gods had something to do with the agriculture. Sure. Because like if you go to museums and stuff like that, they have like things that tell yep. about that kind of thing. Yep. So I have a feeling that the reason why they adopted these gods was to keep the land flowing agriculturally, and they figured if they captured it, then the, the god would be at their bidding. Yeah, they they had a, a yeah they they uh, most of the country most of the surrounding uh, people around Israel are polytheistic, and it's very tempting when other people are polytheistic for you to decide you know what maybe I should be as well. So what we do is we tend to to inherit and incorporate other gods into with our god, and they start to mix, and you have. Uh, Difficult things that happen to religions, uh, even Christianity has, has a, a potential of doing this. When we go into another culture, we have to decide what is cultural and what is religious and what can we appropriate and what is acceptable in our uh, brand of Christianity there versus what is unacceptable because it allows in pagan beliefs and practices. And it's difficult at times when that happens. So the problem is that we have, um, it, one of the other problems we have is, is in determining God's will. When we have a clear indication of what God's will is, why is it that, we, that if we don't like it, we, we ask him again and again and again? It's clear. Well, it's, clear. it's as clear as... It's, so clear. All right, well... Dan, I want you to conquer this area of property right here. I don't want you to go anywhere else. It was the it was the it was the it was the high priest and, and Joshua that, that did it. Listen there, the leaders that God put in their place, this is what I want you to do, and Dan goes, you know what? It's a little tough, so I'm gonna go someplace else. Have you ever noticed that, that when you don't get the answer that you want, you just keep asking, or you go to somebody else to ask? You ever had that with your kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how often do you, have you experienced that with your kids? Kid comes to you and you know, you learn that the first time. You say, "Yeah, honey, you can do that." Oh, good. And then you find out your your wife told them no, they couldn't do it. <laughs> so for that, you know, it only happens like once, and then you start going, "What? Well, did you ask your mother? What did she say?" You know, it, we, we don't get what we want, so we go to somebody else and ask. And, and in this case, they went to this other, this other guy. It's amazing. We, you know, we'll require again and again until we get the answer we want. It's also fine, kind of, this is kind of sad. If you notice that there are times in, in Scripture where it appears that sinful activities achieve success does it ever bother you 
You know, it's like, I, I'm like, this, yeah, yeah. John, I appreciate your answer because it's true. You know, we, we, and, and the psalmist says it sometimes. He says, why is it that the wicked prosper and your people, Lord, don't? So what's the answer? Okay. All right. Well, um, sometimes I think that we uh, we define prosperity differently than God defines prosperity. Okay. All right. Especially, I, I think in terms of uh, uh, Western culture, Western church, and stuff like that. It seems, like every, it, uh, it seems like every decision we make is, is based on how did, it, how did it affect me financially, you know? Uh-huh. It's a, it's a, it's interesting sometimes that we expect God's timetable to be the same as ours. I think we at times, especially when you're, you have someone you know, member could be a family member, you know, and they just, you know, and then even you're praying for them. Oh gosh, they just, you know, get in the sight of you, you know, like that thorn. <laughs> speaking from class, speaking of, speaking of speaking from it's personal like experience, huh? Praying, but you're, you know, the, the oh Lord, is, please smite them hip and thigh. <laughs> but I think the, the, the hardest thing, I, I think, at least from my point of view, is understanding that regardless of that person or evil or whatever, I mean, once they're gone, they're gone, and. There's no repentance, you know. We're all we're all people been created, you know, and we all have a, a choice and a decision to choose God or not. And even though every soul, I mean, what does the word say? It says you know, you take it for something you did right, even though they said it was wrong. You take it just fully, right? You're blessed for that, even though it doesn't feel good. They brought up rumors or whatever stuff that isn't true but you, you get blessed by the way you, you act in your demeanor and your witness well the Beatitudes says blessed are they when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake yes and there's been a there have been a hard. few times yeah yeah it is because <laughs> you, you want what do you want to do we want to defend ourselves and we want God to come out and defend us in a way that, that justifies us to the heathen or to the wicked, yes. even, if they're not, even if they're not heathen. Because sometimes, sometimes Christians are wicked. Yes. Right? Yeah. You, are we willing to admit that? Okay, I know none of you are. I know, I know none of you here in this room are wicked. I understand that. Yeah. Unless it's the Boston equivalent of wicked when you say, oh, it's wicked awesome, right? So what I would say is just as we kind of close 18, or we're going into 19 next week. If I could paraphrase this ending, the end, and we'll use verse 1 of chapter 19 as our ending, and also it will be the beginning of chapter 19 next week. There is no spiritual king in Israel, and therefore life is a free-for-all. You can do whatever you want. 
And, it, you know, and there's some good things about this song and there's some bad things about this song, but I think that probably the best rendition of this would be if, is Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. Yeah. Doesn't matter if I do it God's way as long as I do it my way. And and there's a there's a sense to which that's you know it's good to be stoic, it's good to be heroic in the face of difficulties. But not when it comes to the neglect and the omission of being obedient to what God commands us to do. So for today, for the next week until we meet again as the Lord as the Lord tarries, Let's just remember this, that God wants us to live it his way and not necessarily our way. And sometimes that means that we do things that we don't always understand. But we do it because we trust that his leading is important, that we follow it, his direction and his path, not ours. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father. Yeah, I tell you, I, mean, I listen to these, I read these stories and I, and I think to myself how easy it is for each of us to, to put substitute gods in place of you. To not allow you to, to reign and rule on the throne of our hearts. To decide that we're going to do it our way. To be unhappy when we know your will and we're not happy with it, so we decide that we're going to keep asking anybody, everybody, for their opinion until we get the answer we want. Instead of just being willing to submit to your will, your way, your plan for our lives. Pray you'd help us in the midst of seeing people around us who appear to be doing so much better than we are and that live such, in sometimes such wicked, awful lives that it bothers us and we feel as though you're neglecting us, as though you're not listening to our prayers, you're not helping us in our times of need. Help us to realize that you are there in the midst of all this and there are lessons for us to learn from this and plans that you have for us that are more wonderful than we can possibly imagine. Help us to realize that this is not the end of life, that this is not the goal to get ahead in this world but to be ahead in God's world and in your time and in your eternity. Help us to live a life that brings pleasure to you and help us to be willing to submit to your authority and your will in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.